Welcome in. It's the Two Star Hawkeye Podcast on a Monday afternoon. Coming off of that wonderful Thanksgiving weekend. Nice little four-day break from the daily Nebraska grind over here in Omaha. But I am back in this chair. Went back to work today, as I'm sure most of you did. Feeling refreshed and feeling pretty good with my chest puffed out after Iowa's 40-10 victory over the Nebraska Cornhuskers. I apologize if my voice is a little rough today. Uh, it's a lot better than what it was just a couple days ago. I didn't I didn't scream all that much at Kinnick Stadium on Friday, but man, I mean, maybe some of you would agree. It was a lot colder in Iowa City than what I was expecting. You know, I, I rolled into... I rolled into Finkbine Golf Course just wearing my my black Hawkeye hoodie, and I had a I had a stocking cap on, but I didn't bring any gloves, and I didn't have any other layers on below that. I thought it was just going to be you know uh, lower to mid 40s, uh, being in the stadium, you know, jam packed in there like sardines on the north side. Uh, that that would uh, that would serve as as a, as a source of heat. And while it did help, man, it was a it was a colder day than I was expecting. And you know, it's it's my fault. All the years I've been going to Iowa games, I should have known the last game of the season was going to be cold as hell. So that's that explains the cold. I'm not a guy that gets sick very often, so it's like every every little symptom I have just from your common cold, I think like I'm dying. Uh, so we'll try we'll try to get through this podcast without me dying. Uh, one thing that did die was the Nebraska Cornhuskers. Hey, oh, just kidding. I got some bad, I got some bad jokes. I got, I'm about full of jokes. And can, can I just say this? I'm, I have had so much fun at work today. Like I, this has been, this has been so much fun. And I've said on this podcast before, I don't, I don't hate Nebraska. I don't, I, 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 I've, I've come to learn that. A lot of the jackasses that I knew in college when I went to school over here in Omaha uh, that made me hate Nebraska more than any other team. I've learned that they're pretty few and far in between, and it's the same. It's the same thing with with Twitter trolls, um, because we know Iowa has them too. It's the, the most of Nebraska's fan base are really great people um, that just want to see their team win, like we want Iowa to, to win. So I. Do, I don't. I hate Iowa State more than any other team. I hate Wisconsin more than I hate Nebraska. I hate. Uh, I, I would hate a team like Ohio State more than more than Nebraska. Um, I don't. I don't have this huge disdain for the Cornhuskers like I did uh, just a couple years ago, and a lot of that has to do with you know Nebraska's signing my paychecks now. It's that's just how it is. But with all of that said. I have gotten a lot of enjoyment coming to work today. I have had so much fun just kind of sitting back. I didn't quite put my feet up, but I wanted to uh, just listening to the meltdown unfold and knowing that our now 22nd ranked Hawkeyes caused that meltdown. Man, it's nice to <laughs> it's it's really nice to have Iowa cause another team's meltdown rather than Iowa causing us to meltdown. That's that's pretty cool and something that we don't get very often. Uh, but let's just dive into it. 40 to 10, Iowa wraps up the regular season by trouncing Nebraska in the Heroes game. Uh, coming into the game, as you might have heard 
with my pod on my podcast with Matt Verzal last last week. Uh, if you haven't listened to that, go check it out. I know a lot of it uh, isn't really relevant now that we are already past the game, but that was just a fun podcast. Go check that out. Matt's a really good dude. Uh, played football at Nebraska. He was on their national championship team, and a lot of the perspective that he was able to give us really good stuff and we'll definitely have him on the podcast in the future but on that pod we both gave our predictions and I threw out kind of kind of the generic score I said 20 to 14 Iowa was going to win and I said that because it was it was, I thought I felt it was a safe pick I because going in we recorded that on a Wednesday I had no idea. Nobody had any idea who was going to play quarterback for Nebraska that day. So I picked a score that I didn't – I thought it worked no matter who played quarterback, if that makes any sense. I thought it was going to be a 20-14 to game no matter who was going to be under center for Nebraska. There's there's a lot of different scenarios I could see. Well, not not a lot of different scenarios. I shouldn't say that. But – I could I could have seen either team winning a low scoring grinded out type of a football game. What I didn't see and what I could never see coming in was a blowout for either side. I didn't think I thought Nebraska's while their 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 skill positions on offense is is probably a little bit better than Iowa's. I think as far as who they put on the field isn't that much different than what Iowa rolls out there. Um, and, of course, they were dealing with injuries just like Iowa has been. I didn't expect Nebraska to be able to blow out Iowa, even though they're, they've are they had the better season. And I also didn't expect Iowa to blow out Nebraska. Now, while their seasons are kind of going in two different directions, especially given Friday's result, I didn't think Iowa's offense was going to be able to score enough to create a lot of separations on on Nebraska's defense. So what we had going in was, you know, this is probably going to be a low-scoring affair. The weather's not going to be I – mean, the weather wasn't bad, but it's, it's a November game. Boy, was I wrong and weren't a lot of other people wrong. 40-10, to 10, Iowa created separation in a flash – in the first half, and they did it with big plays. Three plays in this football game went for 50-plus. You know how many plays all season long have gone for 50-plus before Friday's game? Five. Five. And we've been watching it all year. We know Iowa's offense isn't very – they're not a quick-strike offense. They're, they don't get up and down the field very quick at all. Um, unless it's Akron Wadley breaking a big one, and he probably accounted for, in fact, I know he accounted for almost all five of those plays. It's not, it, it, it's been a struggle to just put the ball in the end zone. The, the touchdowns that we've seen Iowa score, they've been long, slow, prodding drives that take a lot of time off the clock, and it, it involves um, a lot of short gains that turn into first downs, and eventually that turns into a touchdown. Not a lot of big plays from this offense. Iowa gets three of them in the first half. Just the first half. And they weren't they weren't any trick plays. They weren't they weren't anything that Nebraska hasn't 
prepared for. I mean, heck, their coaches said it in the post game. Iowa did exactly what they thought Iowa was going to do. The difference was twofold. A, the job up front, and B, the execution from the running backs, whether it was Wadley or Daniels or C.J. Beathard, who made the right throw. His timing was perfect on that long play, long touchdown play to McCarron, that 77-yarder uh, to make it 13 to nothing. That was... We haven't seen execution all season long like we have like we saw Iowa display on Friday. And I know that that word gets thrown around a lot, execution, execution, execution. Iowa ex- executed nearly near flawlessly on Friday. And maybe that's been the difference in a lot of in Iowa not being able to create big plays. I mean, having all 11 guys kind of work together as one, that's not something that we've seen a lot this season. And maybe that's maybe I know myself included, maybe I just haven't seen the forest through the trees. Maybe it's not all on Greg Davis. Maybe it's not all Kirk Ferentz. Maybe it is just sim- maybe it's just simply the players aren't executing, and that's really hard to grasp grasp as a fan. But sometimes that's the truth. Iowa executed perfectly. Did they play a perfect game? No, they're often sputtered here and there. But overall, I would say this was. Gosh, I'm 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 gonna call this game their best performance of the season. I know the elephant in the room is the big win against Michigan, but if we're being honest with each other, Iowa's offense, they, they didn't play that well in that game. The only player that really did anything in that football game offensively was Akram Wadley. Every, nobody else really contributed to the effort. But this day, on Black Friday, Iowa put together a complete game, defensively and offensively, Racked up 408 yards of total offense, nearly doubled Nebraska's total for offense on that day, ran it for 144 yards. No, excuse me. They passed for 144 yards uh, and ran it for 264 yards. They get two guys to run for over 100 yards. LaShawn Daniels got the lion's share of the carries with 29, got 158 in Akron Wadley with 105 yards with the majority of that coming on the 75-yard touchdown run in the first quarter. All around, and even in C.J. Beathard looked better throwing the football, and we'll get more into this with uh, with burritos later. The only, I mean, it's been a broken record. The only thing that really needs to improve is the receivers. Riley McCarron's the only receiver that caught a pass all day. He got five of them for 108 yards, most of it coming on the 77-yarder. Um, but other than that, other than other than not getting other receivers involved and other receivers not getting open, and granted, Iowa didn't throw it very much. They only threw it 15 times. Everything was about as good as you could have asked it to be. Especially given the team that we have seen for the majority of the season. And I couldn't be prouder. I know I sound like Paul Rhodes there. <laughs> I could I could not have been prouder. Than, than I was to be in Kinnick Stadium to witness that live. 
I've been I have been to now four Iowa Nebraska games. I was at the first one in 2011 in Lincoln. I was at the one the year later in 2012 at Kinnick. I was there in 2014 and I was there on Friday. Before Friday, I saw all three losses to Nebraska. And the only two games I didn't go to were the two that they won. I was so happy to actually see them beat that team in person, but also just to witness them kind of put the icing on the cake that was the 2016 season. And if I've got time, we'll actually get into the nuts and bolts. But you know what? It's it's Monday. We're three days removed from the game. You've probably heard all of the reaction and conversation um, regarding Friday's game. I, I like big picture conversations, and I, I like looking at things through a wide-angle lens. And that's what I want to do on this podcast. Think about where this team has come. Beginning of the year, they're in the top 15, actually the top 20 by almost everybody. They come out and they they have they they give a I'm not gonna say a spirited performance, but they gave a performance that was expected against Miami of Ohio, but there was a lot of question marks defensively. The next week against Iowa State, they roll up on them 42 to three. Everything seems to be right and high. The offense at that point in time, I remember thinking this: the offense looked better than it did in 2015 when they went 12 and 0. So of course we're all making our plans. We're we're planning trips to Indianapolis. Um, who knows how many wins Iowa can roll up um, before they play Michigan. It just it it just looked like it didn't look like Kirk Ferentz was going to suffer that letdown season with expectations. It didn't seem possible. Then North Dakota State comes to town. Gosh, I kind of like didn't even mean to say that with a North Dakota accent. North Dakota. North Dakota came to town, and they punked Iowa. They straight punked them. North Dakota State came into Kinnick Stadium and essentially said it without saying it, this ain't 2015 anymore. Iowa got pushed around on their home field that day. And I've never, I haven't seen as huge of a shift in a fan base than after that North Dakota State game. Three hours before that game-winning field goal for the Bison went in, we were on top of the world, and after it went through the uprights, oh gosh, here we go again. Kirk Ferentz gets the contract extension. Here we go. Resting on his laurels. La-di-da. And 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 didn't get better. It didn't get better from there until November. Obviously, the Northwestern game happens. the The Penn State game happens. They struggle to beat a Rutgers team on the road for crying out loud. Who ended up being one of the worst teams in in FBS football. And then Penn State happens. Iowa goes into Happy Valley gets absolutely demolished, just whitewashed in front of the whiteout in Happy Valley. 41-14. to 14. Their manhood gets tested. 
I think it was at that point in the season. And this isn't this isn't a hot take or anything. This has been thrown around a lot. But at that point in the season, Iowa had to choose themselves which direction they wanted to go down for that season. What was the story going to be for the 2016 Hawkeyes? Was it going to be 6 and 6 playing in the Motor City Bowl or gosh, the pinstripe or whatever low-tier bowl game? Probably lose to a team in that bowl game, finish six and seven, something like that, and absolutely melt down the stretch? Or were they going to show that they still had the toughness that existed in that 2015 group? Because while there were injuries and while there were graduates last year, there was still a there's still a ton of players that were on that 2015 team that knew what it took to win every single game on the regular season schedule on that 2015 team. Started with quarterback, C.J. Beathard, Akron Wadley was there, Daniels was there, Desmond King, obviously. A lot of guys knew what it took to win. Now the question was, could they win? Could they? Because you know, you, know you know what the mood was going into that Michigan game after getting your clock cleaned by Penn State. Most of us didn't think that it mattered how well Iowa played or how spirited Iowa played at Kinnick Stadium that night. Michigan was just too good. But I don't need to have the whole podcast. I talked by myself for an hour about that game. We all know what happened. One of the most spirited performances I have ever seen Iowa put forth. And Michigan complimented that by making mistakes and making questionable calls, and those kind of things happen when you're pushed. Iowa pushed Michigan for the first time all season. And they crumbled down the stretch, and Iowa had the better mental fortitude to finish them off. They followed that up with a 28-0 win against Illinois, and then Nebraska comes to town. This could be that this game was going to, I mean, obviously because it was the last game of the season, but this game was going to tell the story. We we will remember Iowa-Nebraska as the the game that kind of told the tale of the season, that kind of wrapped it up, if you will. If Iowa loses to Nebraska, it's going to be, yeah, the Michigan game was great, but you know what? They lost at home to Nebraska. They finished 7-5. and five. There's Kirk Ferentz winning seven games. At least he got his bonus, blah, blah, blah. Or Iowa wins. You go 8-4. and four, Move up in the bowl pecking order. Not that that matters. I mean, just because Iowa won their last three games in November – it doesn't change the fact that Iowa's playing in a glorified exhibition no matter where they play, whether it's in Nashville, whether it's in San Diego. But it's always nice to finish your season and win on senior day. In 8-4, and four, while it's just one game difference, 8-4 and four is a hell of a lot better than 7-5. and five. And that's because we've seen 7-5. and five. We've been down that road before. But not only does Iowa go 8-4, and four, they destroy Nebraska. They maul them physically. I mean, you all watch that game. Almost every single play that Iowa ran the football, they got a seven-yard push. We were counting, just me and the guys around me, we were counting 
how many times Iowa got into a second and five situation because they ran it for five yards on first down. They were mauling Nebraska. This was a bloodbath. Just like their defensive coordinator, Mark Banker, uh, assumed what Iowa's practices were. It was a bloodbath up front. Nebraska had no answer. Nebraska also, just looking at Iowa's defense, they also had no they had little opportunities to gain any rhythm with their talented wideouts. And their their wide receivers might be the best unit in the Big Ten. They got a lot of talented guys on that side. But Iowa's defensive line, they got into Tommy Armstrong's head early. And he missed a lot of those long throws. And I think whether whether he was being pressured or he felt phantom pressure, I think that contributed a lot to him missing those throws. And the fact that I know you guys laugh at me because a year ago, a year ago, almost at this time, I said Tommy Armstrong's not that bad of a quarterback. And while I still I still believe that when Tommy Armstrong's at his best, he's really not he's not a bad quarterback. He can win games when he's at his best, and that involves using his legs. He wasn't able to do that on Friday. But he also has the he has the capacity to have a lot of he has the capacity to have a lot of stinkers. And Friday was a stinker for Tommy Armstrong. That's two straight stinkers for Tommy Armstrong against Iowa. But you destroy Nebraska 40 to 10. On senior day. And walking out of Kinnick Stadium, I just had one prevailing thought. This season wasn't so bad. I should go through my tweets every Saturday, especially those Saturdays where Iowa lost or just played poorly, and just scroll through them and laugh at what I said. I know I had one a few weeks ago going into the Michigan week that said something like, you know what, I was going 6-6, six and six, no matter what you have to say about it. I was going 6-6. Six and six. They go 8-4. and four. It's not what we wanted. 8-4 and four with losses to North Dakota State and Northwestern at home. It's not what anybody had in mind. It's not what anybody wanted coming in. But you know what? You win the last three in November. And one of them includes a top three team in the country. And the other includes our neighbors to the West who refuse to put Iowa on any sort of level playing playing field with them. And you beat them by 30. That's not so bad. It's really not so bad. And I tip my cap to Kirk Ferentz. Because this season, they had every opportunity to just melt down and quit. And it looked like that night in Happy Valley that that is what was going to happen. It didn't look like there was any chance that they would be able to get themselves off the mat. But they didn't do it. And as much as I've railed on him, deservedly so in a lot of cases... As much as I've railed on him, that is a testament to Kirk Ferentz's leadership. Kirk Ferentz 
has the job he has and he has the money that he has because of what he has accomplished at Iowa and because he is an outstanding leader. And that got put to the test in 2016. A team with lofty expectations that fell drastically short of them and had an opportunity, had every reason to quit. And they didn't. And they wouldn't have they would not have stuck to it if they didn't have a fearless leader like they did. Tip of the cap to you, Kirk Ferentz. Thank you for allowing Iowa fans and this I don't think it matters what happens in the bowl game, maybe unless they get blown out again. But Iowa fans are going to look back on 2016 and say it wasn't so bad. It wasn't so bad. I want Iowa to have higher aspirations. I want Iowa to build on years like this or maybe have a little consistency with their good seasons. But you know what? I am not going to stomp my feet and cross my arms and pout over this 8-4. and four. I can't. Not all 8-4s and fours are built the same, but when you tell me that Iowa goes 8-4 and four after the kind of September and October they had, but then you tell me about that November, I'm okay with it. I'm totally okay with it. I am damn proud. Again, Paul Rhodes. I'm damn proud of what I saw Iowa accomplish. And see that and see that that cake that is 2016 get iced on Friday against Nebraska. And I've got to address this. I I talked about it a little a little bit on uh, 1620 today in Omaha, um, but I I just want to dive into this. Um, I don't know how many Nebraska fans listen to this. I can't imagine it's too many. Um, but this whole notion that Iowa doesn't deserve to be on your on Nebraska's playing field. Wake up and smell the roses, my friend. Iowa has now won three out of the last four games against the Cornhuskers. Two of them in Lincoln. And after Friday, two of those wins came by 21-plus. Iowa has kicked Nebraska's teeth in more times than not, in the last four years. And you can throw out, Yo, Nebraska leads the overall series. Well, guess what? I was, My dad was not even thought of when Nebraska and Iowa played consistently before they joined the Big Ten. If you want to go down that road, that's your prerogative. But that's just a losing argument. In the here and now, Iowa in Nebraska, are equals. They're equals. And you can you can even make the argument that Iowa is ahead of Nebraska. And I'm going to make that argument. Iowa, right now, is in a better spot than Nebraska. Last 14 years, Nebraska has won one more football game over the course of that time, but the big difference is Iowa has reached Way higher mountaintops. Big Ten championships. Shared Big Ten championships. That's still more than Nebraska's done. Was it five top ten finishes? Nebraska has zero. And what I like most about it, and this can change. This could change. 
if Mike Riley changes the way he recruits, but because Iowa has been in the Big Ten forever, they are better built to win consistently in this conference because of how they recruit. They recruit and they build on the inside. They bulk up on the interior in hope that they can fill the the skill positions. Nebraska, if you've followed their recruiting, and I've been forced to follow it, they're not exactly doing that. A lot of their recruiting hype is coming from defensive backs or wide receivers or quarterbacks. What we saw on Friday is that, yes, it's really nice to have those flashy athletes on the outside, but if you don't have the hog mollies inside to protect those skill position players, protect that quarterback that's getting the ball to these flashy star receivers, it doesn't matter. It, it does not matter. Iowa did not have the skill position advantage on Friday, and they won by 30. And the number one answer as to why is that they are not lacking up front. And with a guy like Kirk Ferentz at the helm and knowing how to recruit to this team, I know I've railed on recruiting and I'm not, I mean, maybe that's something that we can do in the offseason. I just don't think it's appropriate now. But Kirk Ferentz knows how to recruit not only to this state, but to this conference. Wisconsin is in the same breath. Nebraska, not there yet. So I would not be surprised if Iowa continues this success over Nebraska because I'm looking at their recruiting and I'm not seeing the emphasis on interior offensive and defensive linemen. So as far as if it's a rivalry or not, I think it is. I said last Wednesday on the pod, it's a rivalry. It is. You can sense it. It oozes from both fan bases. And Friday's game got a little chippy. There were a few moments where there there were some chippy moments there. We could be starting to see that rivalry grow on the field. Iowa certainly looked like that they were out for blood. But if you're a Nebraska fan and you're going to sit there and pout and whine and scream that Iowa is not on the same level and that you don't respect Iowa and that Iowa needs to do X, Y, and Z before you can be considered rivals, check the scoreboard, bro. 40 to 10 doesn't lie. They got a big billboard here in Omaha. Uh, It sits on the west side as you're coming in. Let's say you're coming in from Lincoln going to Iowa on I-80. There's a big billboard where for every week during the football season, they they, they flash the score of that week's Nebraska game. Surprisingly enough, it still shows 40 to 10. I snapped a picture of it, and I plan on keeping that thing, at least for the next year. That score doesn't lie, and there was nothing fluky about Friday's game. Over the last year, just after last year's win against Nebraska, working here in Omaha, I had to hear it for 365 days. You know, Iowa's the best team Iowa could roll out there, barely beat one of Nebraska's worst teams. They needed four picks to win that game. Nebraska was the better team that day. They just threw four picks. That's why Iowa won. Go back to 2013's win. Yeah, well, Ron Kellogg started. They had Taylor Martinez out there, or even Tommy. There's no way Iowa would have won. You listen for excuses to this game? Crickets. 
There's no excuse. Iowa physically dominated. There were Nebraska didn't even turn it over. You can't even use the Tommy excuse this year. Iowa was the better football team, and Iowa is the better football team, plain and simple. Nebraska might have finished with a better record. They might even they will finish ahead of Iowa in the division standings just because they got three losses and Iowa has four. But don't kid yourself. Iowa's the better football team than Nebraska, and Iowa has been the better football program than Nebraska for the last 15 years or 14 years. So if Nebraska fans want to continue to claim that Iowa is not a rival and that they could not be a rival, that's okay because it's only going to feel worse when Iowa kicks your ass again. So again, not a bad year. Not a great year, but not a bad one. Eight and four, I'm okay with it. All right, let's lift some burritos. Who lifted and who dropped the burrito in Iowa's 40 to 10 win over Nebraska on Friday? I will start with who lifted it. Um, gosh, this is I, mean, I, I know I cheat at this segment. It's really hard when you have a performance like this to only pick one guy who played well. So I'm just going to give it to a bevy of guys. Let's say C.J. Beathard, Lashawn Daniels, Akram Wadley, Riley McCarron, uh, George Kittle, Josie Jewell, Bo Bauer. Yes, I said Bo Bauer. Brandon Snyder. Faith Ekakaiti, Joshua Jackson, who had to come in for Manny Ragumba. I know he gave up the touchdown, but his coverage, more times than not, was rock solid, filling in for Manny. Great job out of him. Jaleel Johnson, the entire senior class. They went out on top, and that felt good to see. Obviously, LaShawn Daniels, we talked a little bit about the rushing attack earlier. LaShawn Daniels goes for a buck 58, Akron Modley, a buck 05. Uh, freedom isn't free. It costs a buck oh five. Um, that's a great rushing effort. Um, first two Iowa running backs to go over 900 yards since the 80s. Um, and in the bowl game, Akram is, I think he's like 36 uh, yards away from, uh, or 34 yards away from eclipsing 1,000 yards. LaShawn's already over that. Uh, so Iowa is on the right track to get two 1,000-yard rushers this year. Think about that for a second. That's pretty amazing. That's a, that's amazing. Um, but I want to focus on C.J. Beathard. We all know what kind of season that guy's had. I, I felt I felt awful for him. I he's He's been the focus of who's dropped the burrito on this podcast a lot this season, and it's been really hard to include him in that so often, but he's had a rough year. It's not been good. He's made questionable decisions that we didn't see a season ago. Um, he's he's been more careful when he when he runs the football, and that's affected his uh, elusiveness and indifference making ability. But to see C.J. Beathard, it's not like he lit the world on fire; only threw for 144 yards. But to see him throw for three touchdowns, and especially that run on fourth and five late in the game where I claim if, if the guy was 100% healthy, which I, I claim and a lot of people have claimed he's not 100%, he hasn't been all year, he would have scored a touchdown on that run. Um, but to see him go out on top on senior day, that was so cool. That was that was awesome to see. I couldn't have felt better for him. 
And I think that that allowed, I think that's going to allow Iowa fans to remember him a little bit better. I think history is going to be pretty kind to C.J. Beathard. Senior year wasn't great. Junior year, he goes 12-0, takes Iowa to the Rose Bowl. I think more people, now, now that Iowa has won all three games in November, and C.J. Beathard went out on top as a senior at Kinnick Stadium on Friday, history's going to be pretty kind to C.J. Beathard, and I'm glad for that because that's a guy that you, you remember listening to this podcast if you were with us a couple years ago. CJ had every reason to leave, you know, buried down the depth chart behind Jake Rudock obviously was the better choice, but wasn't getting the reps. He could have left. In fact, you can make the argument. Maybe he should have left, but he didn't. He stayed in Iowa city. He was loyal to Iowa. Rudock transferring probably had a lot to do with that, but could not be proud. Could, it could not be uh, more happy for a guy like CJ to go out like that on senior day. Um, who dropped it? Uh, we'll just go with all the receivers, not name Riley McCarron. I mean, gosh, you can't even get one catch. I know you didn't have a lot of, a lot of chances, but gosh, not even one reception, but that's been the story all season long. Not really too much of a point to, to rail on it. Um, but man, that's, that's not good. That's, that's not good, but good thing, but good job out of Riley McCarron. Um, he's kind of been a punchline. Uh, f- for a lot of his career, you know, a guy that definitely should not be the, the 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 number one target on a football team. And while that's still that's still true, the guy still worked his ass off, and he he deserved everything he got, especially on Friday. That seventy-seven yard touchdown, that was that was that was awesome. That was, you no, know, I sound like uh, I sound like Tommy Boy there. That that was awesome. Um, but good for him, man. Good for Ryland McCarron. Good for every single senior. That was on this year's team. They've done a lot. A lot of wins came from this senior class, and they're going to be missed next year. But that's going to do it for me this week. Um, Not quite sure exactly what the next few weeks are going to entail. I might bring some guests on here. Uh, Still throwing around some ideas of uh, having a co-host on on here if I'm ever going to have a co-host. I don't know. I mean – just to be honest with you guys, I mean, me doing this solo, uh, I don't think it's been that bad. You can, I mean, that's not really what I'm aiming for, just to not be that bad. Uh, but maybe that's maybe they'll fall in line with Iowa football. You know, not that bad. We're we're all happy. Send me a tweet. Continue to continue to uh, let me know uh, what you think of this, and you know, we'll roll from there. I mean, I don't know what the future of this thing holds. I mean, maybe it's got a bright future. Maybe the, maybe the life of it is coming to its end. I don't know, but thank you all for listening. Um, I, I really appreciate the loyal listeners that we have on here. I appreciate the interaction on Twitter and continue to interact with me because I want to make this podcast as best as it possibly can. And it's only going to get better if Iowa continues to win. Losing football games creates more conversation, but winning football is a lot more fun to talk about. So hopefully Iowa continues this. We will have a bowl game to preview next week. The college football playoff will come out. Might dive into that a little bit, even though this is a it's a, it's, it's an Iowa podcast, but you know, there's other things going on in college football. We might dive into that a little bit. 
and who knows, maybe some other news will come out uh, before then. But once again, thank you for listening, and I will talk to you next week.